You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. In basketball, you can move around quite a bit without dribbling if you keep your pivot foot. Now, when I played basketball, this was important for me to realize because I was often given the instruction by my coach, Daniel, don't dribble. Don't dribble the ball. I played in the low post, and so he never wanted me to dribble the ball because there's a pretty good chance that some guard would take it from me. So when I had my pivot foot set, I could then move around, make a move to the basket, move around to find someone to pass to. Once that pivot foot is set, you can find a new direction, go to a new place, pass the ball. In the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Paul makes an important pivot. And it's not because he's changing his message or changing his direction, but rather he's going to drive home the application that when we have accepted the truth of the gospel, it changes our lives. It changes who we are. Throughout the beginning of this letter, he's been telling the Galatians, you can't behave your way into a life with Christ. You can't obey the rules and follow the commands and become a Christian. However, he has been telling them that once you have been changed by the gospel, everything will be different about you. Your life will change. You will be a new creation. This is something that Paul had been telling them from the very beginning. In Galatians chapter 2, he says in verses 19 and 20, I died to the law that I might live to God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in this life that I live in the flesh. So what he's already been referring back to, he he breaks open for them here in Galatians 5, showing them that when they put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, that everything about them will change. We don't keep the rules to come to Jesus. But when we come to Jesus Christ in faith, our lives and our actions are transformed. We're completely new in Christ. Our behavior changes because we've been changed. We don't behave our way to change, but when Christ changes us, our lives are different. And if we come to Christ and nothing about us changes, what benefit is that? What advantage is that? We come to Christ so that we can be freed from our sin, freed from the laws, free from the brokenness that we find ourselves in. So when we come to Christ, we are changed. And this morning, if you you have called yourself a Christian, but there's never been any change in your life, I hope that you'll see in Galatians chapter 5 that God's will for you is that everything is different because everything is made better. In Galatians 5 and verse 13, he's talking to them about their liberty. He's about to get to, them, get to all these things that come into our lives when we're Christians. But he says, use your liberty not as an occasion for the flesh, but as an occasion to love and serve one another. And the word that he uses for liberty, the word that he refers to this occasion with, it's not just an event, it's an opportunity. And the Greeks who used this original word, they used it to refer to an army base. An army base from which you could launch offensive maneuvers. In other words, it was an army base that was near the front, so that from that base, soldiers could go out and take on the enemy and make an advance against the enemy. So what he's saying here is don't use your liberty to live out a life in the flesh, but rather use your liberty to see this change 
in the world. In 1944, the Allied forces, including USGIs, were marching across Europe, pushing the Germans back. But in the fall of that year, because the front was moving so fast and the Allies were having a hard time making sure that their men were supplied with ammunition and food and reinforcements, the front had gone faster than it could be supplied. In addition, the Germans brought together this great force and pushed their way into the Allied forces line, and that was the Battle of the Bulge. So through the winter at the end of 44 into the beginning of 45, there was this stall. The Allied forces made no progress. But once they had recuperated, once they had gotten all of their supplies, they started to push again and push the Germans back into Germany. And they knew that they were going to continue to make this advance. They would have to keep supplying their troops. And when they came to the border of the Rhine River, They would need to have bridges so that they could cross over. The Germans were prepared and they had rigged all of these bridges with explosives so as they withdrew, they could blow them up and the Allied forces would be trapped on the other side. But there was this one city, Regamen, had a large bridge. It was built for railroads, for trains. And as the Germans retreated off of the bridge, retreated to the other side of the Rhine. They set off their explosives, but the majority of them never fired off. American GIs ran across the bridge, cutting wires as they went under enemy fire, trying to make sure that the bridge could not be blown up. They took the ground just on the other side. They had secured this bridge. And over the next 24 hours, 8,000 soldiers and an entire battalion of tanks would make their way across the bridge at Regamen. Now, a week later, this bridge would be destroyed. But at that point, because they had won so much land on the opposite side of the Rhine, the Allied forces were able to construct several temporary bridges. And from that point forward, the advance just continued and continued and continued. That bridge was an occasion for the Allied forces to pour over that river and chase the enemy all the way back to Berlin. And what Paul says here is that our liberty in Christ should be an occasion. It should be a bridge for us to push into the darkness and evil of this world, to love one another, serve one another, make a difference. Your freedom in Christ is more than a fire escape. Freedom in Christ is is more than uh, avoiding the penalty of sin. Your freedom in Christ is an on-ramp to bring hope and redemption into this world. We've been freed in Christ, and now we have this opportunity to take that hope, that freedom, that liberty to those that are in bondage to sin and evil. Our freedom in Christ is safe, fortified high ground from which we can take the hope at this dark world. When Paul spoke to Peter about the gospel, he said the gospel will be the foundation of the church against whom the gates of hell will not prevail. You know what that means? It means the church is to be on the offensive. We're to be playing offense. 
We're to be using our liberty to take the fight to hell, to take the fight against evil, to make a difference in this brokenness. Our liberty is not just meant to free us from the punishment of sin. Our liberty is to free us to free others from the penalty of sin. We're to take this hope into the darkness. Paul realized that their liberty could be used to reach others and to make a difference in the world. And Paul also realized that Jesus Christ is more than a fire escape. He's also an on-ramp to love and joy and peace in our own life, to make a difference in our own hearts. You see, sometimes people think of the gospel message as, I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins so I don't have to face the punishment of hell one day. And that's true. But it's so much more than that. Our freedom from sin is so much greater than that. And God wants it to be so much more. God wants us to experience His love, joy, peace. He wants us to take the fight to evil and make a difference here in this world. And so what he sets up here in verse 17 is that there is this war between the spirit and the flesh. He says the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And what that means is the flesh wants what is against what is the, what the spirit wants. What the flesh desires is opposite of what the spirit desires. The life of the flesh and the life of the spirit are in exact opposition. So then it ends verse 17 by saying, so you cannot do the things that you would. The things that you know to be right. The things that you desire to do. Do you ever find yourself watching the news and saying, I just don't understand the world anymore. Why are people doing the things that they're doing? Why are people acting that way? Why are people doing these things to their families? Why are people doing these things to their family and friends? Why? Have you ever had a a moment where you've looked in the mirror and said, why do you do the things that you do? Why are you the way that you are? Why are you this way? You know why? You know why people do things that, that make no sense? Do things that hurt the people that they love? You know why we do things that are destructive? It's because what the flesh wants is opposite of what the spirit wants. What my nature wants, what my sinful nature wants is opposite of what God wants. How is it that we do these things that don't make any sense? It's because our nature is sinful. And it goes against what the Spirit would have us to do. When Jesus walked among us, the Gospels tells us, uh, the Gospels tell us of several instances where he comes in contact with someone who is demon possessed. And we see this common trait among people that were demon possessed they would hurt themselves. The maniac of Gadara is this guy who lived in the tombs. He would terrify everyone who lived in the nearby village. But in the night, he would call out and scream out and cut himself with sharp rocks. There was this one child that had been demon-possessed that would throw himself in the fire. Why? Because evil wishes to bring destruction to us. Those are extreme examples of evil having great influence in someone's life. But every sin seeks to do harm to us. Sin always escalates and sin always brings harm to ourselves and to others. It wants what is opposite of what God wants for us. God wants the best for us. Sin wants the worst for us. You find yourself 
engaging in self-destructive behavior. And it almost seems natural. It's because it is. Because it's in our nature to do wrong. And so Paul says, what the Spirit desires is opposite from what the flesh desires. And he says, when the flesh rules, the works of the flesh are obvious. And he gives us that long list that we read earlier. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. All of those things are harmful to us and harmful to others. Now, here's what the world will tell you. Hey, that's natural. It's natural. What's the big deal, Pastor Daniel? It's natural. There's a lot of things that are natural that are no good. No good at all. And he's saying the works of the flesh are manifest, they're evident, they're obvious. And when sin is leading the way, it will lead us into all of these destructive behaviors, lead us into this life that will destroy our relationships with those that we love, with our children, with our friends in society. It doesn't matter how natural it is. It leads to destruction. It leads to heartache. And Paul's argument is not that it's unnatural. In fact, he says it's natural. Paul's argument is the origin of these works is the flesh and the destination or the end is destruction. If we just follow what the flesh wants, it will end in destruction. It will end in heartache. It will end in pain. Verse 15, he says, be careful that you don't devour one another. In verse 26, he warns of provoking one another and strife and envy. Why? Because fornication and adultery and partying and living in excess and dabbling in the spirit world, it all leans to that, to devouring one another, to envy and jealousy and heartache. That's where it leads. He said that's what the flesh wants and that's where the flesh will lead us. But in the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Spirit, in life with the Spirit, it's all different. It's in opposition. It goes in the opposite direction. Whereas those actions that are derived from the flesh end in destructive behavior, those things that originate in the Spirit end in constructive behavior, end in joy and peace and love, and gentleness. Sin originates in our flesh, and its end is destruction. Virtues originate in the Spirit, and result in life. So he says in verse 18, if you're led led by the Spirit, there are all these wonderful things that pop up in your life. Against such there is no law. He calls them fruits of the Spirit. Let's read them again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, humility, temperance, self-control. Against such, there is no law. What does that mean, against such, there is no law? There is no one who would say, yeah, I don't know if we want a lot of love in our town. If we could outlaw love, that would be great, because we don't want that. There's no one who would say, hey, you know, there's people around here just too humble. We need a lot more pride and arrogance, so we're going to outlaw humility. 
Nobody's saying, whoa, there's just way too much self-control. We're going to outlaw stuff. No, these are all good things. Everybody wants these things in their life. Everybody wants these things in their family. Everyone wants these virtues to be a part of their their society. Nobody says, I just can't stand my in-laws. They're just too kind. They're just too gentle and nice. Sometimes people say that, and they mean, because it's not sincere. But true gentleness, goodness, faith, love, peace. Against such there's no law because we, we desire these things in our lives. And they originate in the Spirit and they result in life. Everyone wants more of this. Everyone wants more of this peace, more patience, more love. Everyone wants that. It's attractive. We see it, we say, I want some of that. I grew up in a context where we went to a Christian school. You had to dress a certain way. You had to do certain things. We weren't allowed to listen to this or that. And, and I remember a teacher telling me, well, when the world sees that there's something different about us, they'll, they'll want to be a part of that. And I kept thinking, like, all I'm getting is weird looks by being different. His point was not that we're peculiar and that we're weird. But when they see that the fruit of the Spirit crops up in us, They see the love and joy that we have. Malcolm Gladwell is this really famous author. He's written several bestsellers. His family is Mennonite. He didn't grow up Mennonite. His father and his mother didn't grow up Mennonite. But they lived in Canada, and his father heard about a group of Mennonites that were going to do a barn raising. Someone in their community had lost their barn to a fire. And so they all came together to work together to build this barn. And Gladwell's father wanted to see this happen. He wanted to watch them raise a barn in a day. And so he went to watch, and the people said, do you, you want to help? Would you like to participate? And he, he helped, and then they broke for lunch, and they said, would you like to eat lunch with us? And what he saw among that group of people were these fruits of the Spirit, that they loved one another, that they were gentle towards one another, that they were generous, that they were good, that they were patient with one another. And that was attractive. And when we have these fruits of the Spirit, there's no one who says, I don't want any of that. No, it's good stuff. Everybody wants that. You know, every dish, it seems like, even the dishes that I think are the best, you'll find one crazy person who doesn't like that, right? Lincoln doesn't like strawberries. We're going to have him checked out. I don't know what's going on with him. Strawberries, everybody likes strawberries. And Lincoln even thinks that he likes strawberries. He'll say, yeah, I like strawberries. He'll eat it and go, oh, I don't like that. And he'll spit it out. I mean, even the best stuff in this life, there are some people that don't like it. I've met people who don't like coffee. I don't know what's wrong with them. (laughs) The things that you enjoy in this life, you can probably find at least one person who doesn't like it or enjoy it. But everyone wants more love in their life. Everyone wants greater joy and peace. Paul says, against these things, there is no law. They're all good things that we want. And here's what's great about all this. Life in the Spirit is not only beneficial for us, it's enjoyable. Life in the Spirit not only leads us away from destruction and towards life, it's fun. Life in the Spirit is beneficial and enjoyable. When we walk with Christ, when we have the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, our life is not a series of have-tos, 
but get-tos. I don't have to be at church this morning. I get to be at church this morning. I didn't have to be at church on Labor Day weekend. I got to be in church on Labor Day weekend. I preach at the jail on a regular basis. I had a guy say to me, why do you do that? You want to know a secret? Because I like it. Because it's fun. It's enjoyable. Hearing the, the clang of the door behind me is not enjoyable. The smell of the jail is not enjoyable. But taking the message of the gospel, this life-changing message of God's grace, and sharing it with people who want to hear it, who are in a moment where they're ready to listen. And I love that. I don't have to go preach at the jail. I get to. Now, this past week, we had our first touch program at Channel Elementary School. It's Teaching Others Under Christ's Hand is the acronym. And we have two Bible clubs, one with second and third graders and one with fourth and fifth graders. And I teach the fourth and fifth grade class. And Linda Spencer teaches the second and third grade class. But she's in Florida with her ailing mother. So I got to teach both classes. I didn't have to. I got to. I got to talk about our God who is eternal, has no beginning and no end. And because he's a God with no beginning and no end, he can give us mercy without end. I got to talk about that with 70 elementary school students. That's a get to, not a have to. And when we live life in the spirit, the Christian life is not a series of things we have to do. It's a series of things we get to do. It's a series of things that we get to be a part of and enjoy. And our liberty is an occasion to take this message of the gospel into the darkest places, even the jail. And feel this grace come pouring into the darkest portions of our own heart and feel the freedom that is there because He's removing that envy and putting in its place generosity. He's removing that anger and putting in its place love. He's removing that anxiety and putting in its place peace. Who wouldn't want some of this? Who wouldn't want some of this? So it's not, we have to. We get to. Now remember what Paul is writing to the Galatians about is they had been told, listen, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to obey all these laws. There are all these commands you have to keep. And Paul says, no, 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 no. There's no have to. It's get to. We get to. We're blessed. Christian life is a series of get-tos, not have-tos. Because we desire to live in a way that honors God and brings us greater freedom and brings us greater love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, humility, self-control. Because we want more of that. We follow what Paul prescribes here. He says, in Christ, we should constantly seek to crucify the flesh and walk with the Spirit. Look at verses 24 and 25 in Galatians 5. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Paul uses this word crucify for the flesh. And he uses a term that they would have been familiar with. And it was a term of putting it to death without mercy. When Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he suffered the most painful form of execution known to man in that time. 
It was the most difficult experience. And Paul says that's what we should do to our flesh. Every little desire and lust that this flesh has, as natural as it may be, put it to death. Turn your back on the flesh so that you can walk with the Spirit. Put the flesh to death so that you can walk with the Spirit. Turn your back on your natural lusts, passions, and desires so you can follow after what the Spirit wishes to provide. See, that sounds pretty violent and pretty serious. It is. But when you turn your back on the flesh to walk with the Spirit, you're turning your back on sin and destruction and death, and you're turning towards love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, humility, self-control. Things that against such there is no law. Things that we all want. Walk with the Spirit. Verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. In verses 16 and 25, he talks about being in the Spirit. Paul says, if we live in the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's follow the work of the Spirit in our lives. Do we want these things? Do we want love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, humility? Do we want these things? Then turn your back on the flesh and follow the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Here in in Faith Church, we have dear old saints, people who've been a part of this church from the beginning. What I would call the original core group. They were here when this church was founded. They've been walking with Christ, and they're the sweetest, most generous, most faithful, good people. And sometimes I'll sit and talk with them, and they'll tell me stories from when they were younger. And I'm like, that couldn't have been you. You couldn't have done that. You're just so sweet and, and timid. You've been married for 60 years. You guys never fought. Surely not. And you know what I find out? They were normal people. They argued with their spouses. They were envious and selfish. They weren't born these kind, gentle folks. They weren't born giants in the faith. You know, the life that they have today is the result of years upon years of walking with the Spirit. Years upon years of turning their back on the flesh to follow the Spirit. And it has been crop after crop, season after season, of the fruits of the Spirit in their life. Now, you need to hear that because some of you, you think that that's just how they're born. And you think, I, I, I'm not that way. You, you read that list of things that the Spirit wants to bring about in your life, and you're like, yeah, one of those things happened like one time in my life. And I think it was a mistake. I don't, that's not normal for me. And you're here in church this morning, and you're like, I want to be like that person. I want to have that fruit in my life. I want to be more loving. I want to have more peace. I want to have joy, even in the midst of of tragedy and adversity. So you say, I'm I'm, going to do it. I'm going to get my act together. What have we been saying all throughout Galatians? The way to get your act together is not to get your act together. The way to get your act together is to hand it over to Jesus. See, here's what some of you are trying to do. You're trying to become that tree that bears that fruit. See, I want some of that fruit in my life. It looks great, but I'm just I'm not producing it. So I'm going to really try hard to be more loving. I'm going to really try hard to have more joy. I'm just going to decide to be more patient. I'm going to bring it about in my life. And you're trying to tape on this fruit. You're like, I'm an apple tree now. 
And the truth is, you're not an apple tree. You look ridiculous. <laughs> right? Because the way that you get an apple tree is not that you take it and you, you band-aid these things onto your life. It's not that you, I'm going to just, I'm going to have a sure will. I'm going to give it my all, my best, and I'm going to be more kind, and I'm going to be more humble. No. How does it happen? The Spirit comes into your life. And the fruit of the Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, humility, self-control. See, when He comes into your life, He brings these things about. And you can't force it. Because if you force it, it's fake. It's pretend. It's you putting on an act. And it might work for a little while. You might do a better job of taping on these fruits than I do. But eventually that's going to rot and die. And another season's going to come. There's not going to be any fruit. How do we have these things in our life? It's not because we decide to. It's because we open our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And when we have put our hope and faith in Christ... He blesses us with His Spirit. And the evidence of the Spirit being in our life are these fruits. The way to get apples off of an apple tree is to plant an apple seed. And the way to get these fruits in your life is to plant the gospel in your heart. So the first step you need to make this morning is make sure it's real. Have you accepted Christ's forgiveness In your life. And if you've accepted Christ into your heart and life, the Spirit is present and He's doing this work. And now all that's needed is to stay out of His way and give Him time to do a great work. Recently, Nicole and I did some landscaping at our house. And I sent a picture to my grandmother. My grandmother, she's one of those people that when you drive past her house, you can tell from the street that she loves her flowers. It's just beautiful. So I sent a picture of our little bit of landscaping, you know, our nine plants that we put out to my grandmother. She said, that looks great, Daniel. What kind of plants did you put out? And I was honest. I said, whatever was on the clearance at Lowe's. (laughs) And she said, Daniel, are those annuals or perennials? And I checked, and I said, oh, they're, they're perennials, Grandma. She said, good, because annuals, just that year, and then it's gone. But perennials will come back season after season. And maybe you're here, and, and you're trying to get your life together, and you're trying to get your act together, and you're trying to be kinder and more humble. And you might go a while on that. But the fruit of the Spirit is perennial. It comes back season after season. And the Spirit does this ongoing work in our lives. And He brings about this fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. Against such there is no law. And if you'd like some more of that in your life, year after year, season after season, in good seasons and in bad seasons, Give your life over to Christ. Welcome His work in your heart.
Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.